0: This is my Bible. It is the Word of God and the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am. I'm seated right now in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what the Word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine. And I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. The day my mind is alert, my spirit is receptive as I'm taught the Word of God. My life is changed for the better, and I will never be the same again. Amen. may be seated. As you're being seated, if you would, turn in your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 13. In December, Pastor challenged us to believe God for a doubling in 2024. And with the Lord, all things are possible, but we have to do our part. And on Vision Sunday, Pastor challenged us all to do these four things in 2024. To be in church first when the doors are open, and we understand vacation and rest, but when you're in town, to be in church with your family. Number two, to not just be here, but to be on time or early and to worship the Lord Enthusiastically. Third, to tell at least one person about the Lord every month. And again, I know that there are those among us, and you know your goal is 10 or 12 or whatever it is, but for all of us, every one of us, to commit to telling at least one person about the Lord every month. And number four, for all of us to offer to pray for someone in need in their body in person at least once a month. You know, just this morning, we heard two wonderful testimonies related to that. The first, a young lady shared with pastors how the father of her boyfriend, he was in a really bad motorcycle accident. His head was severed internally, serious, serious, serious. And so the way they prayed as a family was that the Lord would guide the surgeon's hands in that procedure, that there would be a miracle and they had good news, he, he woke up and he was able to, to move his fingers. So wonderful, wonderful miracle. Another young lady shared with Jessica and I that they had a friend of the family that ended up in a coma. The doctor said that they were gonna give so many hours and then plugs would need to be pulled, that'd be it. And so they, they prayed that there would be a miracle that he would wake up and he did. So praise God, amen. You know, we kind of talk ourselves out of talking to people or praying with people because, you know, well, what if God doesn't do this and what if God doesn't do that? Well, you got to put that in the positive. What if God does? And again, if we'll step out in faith and tell people about the Lord and offer to pray with people, the Lord will do wonderful things, amazing things, crazy things. And again, these are the things that draw people to the Lord. As the Bible tells us in Acts 9 and verse 31, we believe that in 2024 we will enjoy a time of peace. We'll be strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and we'll grow in numbers as we live in the fear of God. Acts 13, Acts 13, beginning in verse one. And one of the things I love about this series is that we're we're dealing with things and passages we might not normally deal with, unless, say, on a Wednesday night or Sunday morning we just went through a book of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Acts 13, beginning in verse 1, and the church at Antioch. And this was a significant church. It was in Antioch that they were first called Christians. And the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. In the Gospels, before Jesus chose the 12, he spent the night in prayer. And we see here again in the book of Acts that before they set apart men for ministry, called by the Lord, ordained for ministry, they were worshiping the Lord and fasting a time of fasting, a time of prayer, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. I love reading the book of Acts, how Luke describes how Paul was led by the Holy Spirit in his missionary journeys. There would be times where Paul would wanna go somewhere, he would think it was the right thing to do, And Luke actually writes that the Holy Spirit did not permit him. And so Luke tells us, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. And as you read Acts, that was the pattern of Paul. When they would go to a new place, Paul would most often first go to the local Jewish synagogue, and there he would say, Christ is the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies. He, was, he is the one who was prophesied to come. And that, that was his pattern, until you get to a place in Acts where there is so much opposition from unbelieving Jews. Paul finally shakes the dust off his feet, and he says, from now on, I'm going straight to the Gentiles. But we're not at that point yet. And so it says, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. And that's John Mark. And that's the same John Mark who, with the help, the guidance of Peter, would write a gospel. And we call it the Gospel of Mark because Mark wrote it, but it was really Peter's gospel. The recollections of the apostle Paul the Apostle Peter, about the ministry of Jesus Christ. Verse six, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There, they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar Jesus. See, this is something that we might not normally deal with on a Sunday or Wednesday night. You know, not everything that is spiritual is of God. And not everything that is supernatural is of God. Now, I know here at Faith Christian Center, we believe the Bible, we believe in God, we believe that there's a heaven, we believe that there's a hell. When we, we read the Gospels and Jesus cast devils out, we believe that's real, that it's not stories or stories for children, that it is real, that it really happened, that it really took place. And so when I quote John 10, 10, what Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy, there, there is a thief and there is an enemy. And his name is Satan or Lucifer, as in the book of Job, Ha-Satan, which means the accuser or the accuser of the brethren. And the Bible tells us that when he tried to elevate himself above God, that Lucifer and a third of the angels were cast down out of heaven. So there are spirits and there are demonic spirits. Just as there are angels that protect us and fulfill assignments on our behalf, there are entities that are evil and they are wicked and they they wreck and they ruin lives. If you weren't here Wednesday night, I would encourage you to watch or listen to the message. Pastor so wonderfully dealt with how when you see such terrible things in the news or wonder how someone's behavior can be so evil or so wicked, there's, there's only one explanation, that is the devil and that is demons at work through people. And so we have to be, as Paul would later write, sober-minded and vigilant about these things. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus. As Christian people, we should, as John's gospel teaches, as 1 John tells us, we should walk in the light and not in darkness. And there ought not be any darkness in our lives. You know, driving down 287, there's a lady that advertises astrology and readings and all of those things. As Christian people, we, not, we, we should not do any of that. Astrology, horoscopes, almost said horoscopes, and that's what they are. Tarot cards, palm readings, And see, out there in Christendom, sometimes people, since they they don't want to take action on this or obey the word of God, they get into things that seem spiritual, but they're not spiritual righteously. They are getting into Satan's realm. A few years ago, there were reports of a Christian ministry doing positive Holy Spirit tarot card readings. There is no such thing. The Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God, and the Word of God is the standard by which we judge everything. In Martin Luther's time during the Reformation, Luther at the time was actually still working on his German translation of the Bible. There was a man, while Luther was under house arrest, using his time to translate the Bible, there was another man telling people that, well, we just need to go by the Spirit and the Word, the Word of God, doesn't matter, so even God's people can get off into darkness. I remember once on a Wednesday night, you know, some, you know, most, most weeks are pretty peaceful, but sometimes there can be some interesting things, and I remember my parents were out of town. I covered for pastor, and after the service, there was a lady who was a visitor, and she was actually trying to tell me that she didn't need the Bible because where she lived, at night, there would be light that would flash or show on her wall, and she believed it was Hebrew symbols, and she would then take those symbols and get on Google and, and translate them, and these, these were messages. I tried to nicely tell her, well, maybe you need better blinds, and maybe people are just driving down the road. You know, it's best to go with the, the first logical possibility than uh, other things, amen. So again, people can get into all kinds of nonsense, ear, weirdness, and you need to, we need to, as Paul said, be sober-minded, be vigilant, because there is an adversary, and he is not a roaring lion, but he, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom to, to devour. And we have an example here. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar Jesus who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man. So here you have a man, he's unsaved, he's intelligent, but he feels compelled that he's gotta have this sorcerer and this false prophet around him. Most of the Roman emperors were wicked, evil, depraved, inbred, and because they were inbred, most of them were certifiably insane. The one emperor that was considered to be enlightened was Marcus Aurelius, who wrote the Meditations. But it's historical fact that Marcus Aurelius, before they would make a decision regarding military strategy or battle, they they would get into things like augury, and that is cutting a bird's belly open and spilling the guts out to try and discern what they should do or what's going to happen. You're not gonna get a heavenly message that way. You are going to get a demonic message and a demonic leading. I remember as a young man, I has traveled with my parents and met some famous people in the Christian world. One of the things that disturbed me is you get around some famous people and they'd have people around them almost like rock stars have groupies. But in getting to know some people, I noticed that some famous, famous people had women hanging around that were prophetesses. And I asked my dad about that. He said, Austin, they, they feel so uncomfortable in their own spirituality and discernment, they feel like they've got to have people around them to give them direction. Where do we get our direction? from the word of God. And if I think the Holy Spirit is leading me or directing me to do this or to do that, or if I'm uncertain, the only lady I should ask is Jessica Lingerfeld. And second to that, my mother. See, if I I was asking women at church, that, that would be weird, that there would be something wrong with that. So Luke tells us that the proconsul was an intelligent man, yet as an intelligent man, he had a sorcerer and a false prophet, someone he he sought guidance from. It'll wreck, it'll ruin your life. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from... The faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamus and said, You are a child of the devil. I remember Fred Price teaching on this wrong saying in the world. People say, well, we're all the children of God. No, we're not. Someone is a child of God if they're born again, if they're saved. But we're not all God's children because not everyone out there in the world is saved. And some people, they're children of the devil. Some people, they're they're not just children of the devil, they they work for the devil, and they are they are emissaries of Satan. And yes, we we walk in love and we're kind, we're gracious. We want everyone to come to a, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But there are people, and they are, they're not saved, they're children of the devil. And they're not just neutral. It's one thing to be neutral but they're not just neutral. They are actively working on Satan's behalf. And that's who Elimus was. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Verse 11, now the hand of the Lord is against you. There there are people and they they live their life in neutral. When I learned to drive, my parents blessed me with, a car that was the desire of my heart, it was, wasn't a six-speed. I believe it, it might have even been a four-speed. It was had a manual transmission. Some of the young people might, what's he talking about? Manual transmission. But I, I remember learning that, that car and learning how to drive it, learning the gears and learning how to drive it going up a hill. But if you have an automatic car, you, you have neutral. And if you're a neutral, you're not, you're not going anywhere. 4 against, and so there are people that are neutral, but there are, there are people that are actively at work on Satan's behalf. You know that's a lot of what we see going on in Washington, D.C. They're, they're agents of evil. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. Verse 11, you are going to be blind, and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Verse 12, and you might think, man, that's tough. But again, we've seen in the book of Acts again and again and again, the purpose of miracles, whether positive or negative, negative in this case for Elamos, the purpose of miracles is that people would see the power of God and that Jesus is alive and they would come to faith. Verse 12, when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. He had been an unsaved, intelligent man who had this sorcerer hanging around for guidance, for insight, but he saw with his eyes the judgment of the Lord, and he made an intelligent decision. I'm not gonna be on Team Elymas, Team Satan anymore. I'm gonna be on Team Jesus. The purpose of miracles is that men and women would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the positive side is healing, someone being healed or made well in their body, somebody being set free, or the blessing of the Lord. It's like these testimonies we heard this morning, the Lord wonderfully moving on the behalf of prayers of wonderful, faithful people that are a part of Faith Christian Center. There's also the other side, and that is the judgment of God against sin and wickedness and people actively opposing the gospel. Acts 13, verse 9, let's read it again. You might say, why are we going to read it again? We, we need to hear it. And people sometimes don't know the God that we, we serve. He is a holy God. He is a righteous God. He is a God of Justice And yes, he is a God of love and grace and mercy. And the Bible says that the mercy of the Lord is new and more and praise God for. We need his mercy, amen. But he is also a God of justice and judgment and holiness and righteousness. And when people try to hinder the gospel, God's going to judge it. When people try and purposely hurt the sheep, and hurt people coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, God is going to judge it. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind, and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And he might say, well, where's the love in that? Where's the mercy in that? God loved the proconsul. God wanted the proconsul to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You might say, what about Elamus? Elamus could get saved too. Remember Saul's own story. He was an educated man, a deeply religious man, a Pharisee. Yet he was a persecutor of the church. And he was on his way to Damascus when all of a sudden he was blinded by a bright light. And he heard the voice of Jesus, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He was literally blinded by the light couldn't see, off his horse, couldn't see. And Paul, the who, Saul who becomes Paul made the right decision. I'm gonna serve Jesus. I'm gonna live for Jesus. I'm gonna be an emissary of Jesus. And you read in Acts how the Lord sent a man named Ananias to where Saul was staying on Straight Street and he laid hands on Saul and his eyes were open and he received the Holy Spirit. So, is there any grace and mercy? Yes. Elimus was struck with blindness, but he could reach the same conclusion as the proconsul, to believe in Jesus, to give his life to God, instead of being an emissary of Satan, to be an emissary of God. Now, this passage gives us the opportunity to also deal with something else, and that is with Barnabas. And there is something to be learned from Barnabas. Now, the first time the Bible mentions Barnabas is in Acts chapter four, beginning in verse 36. Luke writes, Joseph a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And so we see here in Acts that Barnabas' giving brought him to the attention of the apostles. And this is a biblical principle Proverbs 18, verse 16 says a gift opens the way for the giver and ushers him in to the presence of the great. And sometimes somebody might wonder, well, has Austin heard this or Austin heard that or Austin heard this criticism or that criticism? I I think I've heard about all of them, but maybe there's one I've not heard. And people say things like, well, it's wrong to give to get. And And I understand the sentiment But an intelligent man or an intelligent woman understands that when we give, we receive. And yes, our heart has to be right, our our motivation has to be right, but it doesn't change the fact that we give and we receive. We sow and we reap. Now, I'd like to believe we live out here in the country a bit, but we, we, we don't but there's a family in the church, they're from Iowa, out there in Iowa, they're still farms. You know, if you see a farmer up early in the morning, got one of those great big tractors, planting seed, would you say he's a selfish man? Well, why not? He, he's planting that he may, he may reap. Isn't he selfish? Is his heart right? Are his motivations right? See, people sometimes can be silly and ridiculous. And so what the Bible says is true. A gift opens the way for the giver and ushers him in to the presence of the great. We've taken the pictures down, but one of the pictures was a picture of T.L. Osborne at the previous building. And this is how we came to know evangelist T.L. Osborne, who in his lifetime preached the gospel to more people than anyone in history. A close second would be evangelist Reinhard Bonnke. And one of TL's early crusades was in Mombasa, Kenya. I believe the year was 1957. TL arrived in Mombasa. And what most people don't know is that his wife, Daisy, and TL would say this, Daisy did most of the work. Because wherever he was going to go, Daisy would go months ahead. She would meet with all the pastors, get them organized, But in all the churches, she would teach the word on healing. And she would tell people, I'm not going to pray for anyone. I'm not going to lay hands on anyone. I'm not going to touch anyone. I'm going to just teach you what the word of God says about healing. So you will have faith. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. She would do this for months. And then Teal Osborne would fly in and he would do the crusade. But again, the the word had already been sown for months and months and months. It's part of how they got the results that they they did. And he would proclaim a simple gospel message and say, if what I have said is true, the Lord is gonna start demonstrating it by healing the sick. So that's what they did. The early crusade was in Mombasa, Kenya, I believe, 1957. And as missionary Bud Sickler would later tell the story, when he picked it up T.L. at the airport, he was just apologizing that, that they were just there at the beginning, didn't have much, didn't have much money, apologizing that they hadn't done as good as he wanted to do on advertising. And I remember Bud Sickler saying that T.L. Osborne said to him, that's all right. We'll let the Lord open a few blind eyes and then there will be plenty of people. And so they, they knew each other, all those decades. And T.L. Osborne loved Bud Sickler because out of that one crusade meeting in 1957, Bud Sickler spent decades of his life training people that were saved in that meeting, training men to be pastors. Out of that one meeting, they established 5,000 churches throughout Kenya. 5,000. And T.L. would say that he preached just as good everywhere he went, but only one man did the hard work of training pastors and establishing 5,000 churches. So they were friends. And T.L. loved Bud Sickler. And so after we as a church committed to give 500,000, which became 600,000, to put the roof on their new church building at Elam Evangelistic Church in Mombasa, the first person Bud called to share the good news was his friend, T.L. Osborne. There in Mombasa, if you go there and visit that building, the stage in that new sanctuary, it is in this spot where T.L. preached the gospel in 1957. So they, they were friends. And that was a labor of love and a life's work for Bud Sickler. And we, towards the end of his life, we were an incredible blessing to Bud Sickler and the Lord put it on pastor's heart for the church to give the money, which became $600,000 to pay for the roof. Bud had actually let my father know that it was gonna cost an additional $100,000, hence the 600, and uh, my, my father hesitated, but he prayed about it, then let him know, yes, he's gonna bring it, and after my father let him know that, shortly thereafter, before my father got back to Mombasa, Bud went home to be with the Lord, but he went home knowing that his dream would come to pass. And it stands there to this day. A gift makes way for the giver and ushers him into the presence of the great. And so Bud's partner and friend in ministry became our partner and friend in ministry. I remember being around T.L. Osborne and going to this and going to that and seeing him sometimes get irritated. People would ask him to pray. He, he, he believed in preaching the Word of God, letting people hear and letting people simply receive by faith in the preached word. There was a time, Jessica and I's life, because of a particular medication Jessica had taken, she was given a very severe diagnosis. She went to the doctor and was told that certain levels were incredibly elevated. Then the next thing she was told is that she had a large brain tumor. And so what we did is we went to Tulsa and T.L. Osborne laid hands on her and we never went to another doctor about it since. But it was a wonderful moment when he laid hands on her and prayed for her. A gift makes way for the giver and ushers him into the presence of the great. And there are connections in life that are ordered by God. They are divine connections. So Barnabas sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas was for real, his giving was for real, his heart was for real, but then there were pretenders like Ananias and Sapphira whom God judged, And as we learned, it's not smart to lie to God about money. This is the same Barnabas who later became Paul's traveling companion and who was later called an apostle alongside Paul in Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 14. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes. So God was doing amazing things, and the people in that town said, these men must be gods. They were horrified by it. They tore their clothes, shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We bring you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. Now, notice at this point in Acts, Barnabas is mentioned first. The second time the Bible mentions Barnabas is in Acts chapter 11, when the Jerusalem church sent Barnabas to see if the revival reports from Antioch were accurate. The third time the Bible mentions Barnabas is in Acts 12, verse 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned. From Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. And notice, Barnabas is still mentioned first. The fourth time the Bible mentions Barnabas is in Acts chapter 13, which we dealt with today. Acts chapter 13, verse 2 While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So notice here at this point, even the Holy Spirit puts Barnabas first. The fifth time the Bible mentions Barnabas is in Acts 14, beginning in verse 1, where Barnabas and Paul were preaching in Iconium and Lystra. There, Paul was dragged outside the city and stoned for preaching the gospel. The sixth time the Bible mentions Barnabas is in Acts chapter 15, where now the author Luke puts Paul ahead of Barnabas. And here they're sent to the church council in Jerusalem to explain what is happening among the Gentiles. Later in Acts 15, the author Luke still puts Paul ahead of Barnabas and they fall into dispute over John Mark. Acts 15, beginning in verse 36, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and to see how they are doing. You, know, you might read Paul's letters and wonder, you know, why, why is Paul so fired up? Because he spent the time he had and he gave his life to establish these churches and even the ones he didn't to positively build up the believers in those churches. And so then when there were troublemakers and people up to no good and problems, it fired him up because of the time he had invested. And so that was his pattern, to go in some places like Antioch or Philippi, he spent a long time to see a church established and strong and then later to go back. So verse 36, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord to see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. The work is hard. It's not always easy. It's not always your best day. It is labor-intensive. You heard me describe how Daisy would go somewhere for months in advance and do most of the work, and then Teal would come and do the big meeting and get most of the credit. You know, I, I've heard my father say again and again how his ministry spelled W O R K. And yes, we, we study and pray and we read the word, but that's what we do at home. When we're here, we're at work. On Sundays, we're at work preaching the word of God or Wednesdays, we're at work preaching the word of God. Sometimes people get the idea that if they come work for the church, we'll be here in the, the auditorium Monday through Friday singing kumbaya together. It is work. Now, Luke doesn't tell us how old John Mark was at this point. But I'd like to picture him as a young man or as a younger man. And young people, we can be fickle and we can be a little opposed to W-O-R-K. And so Luke writes, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them, that's a strong word, deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And you might wonder, well, why at 9 a.m. and why at 11 are are pastor in Austin emphasizing this? Because Barnabas is not heard from again. Barnabas, who was so well-commended and so well-spoken of and for such a long time, many years, listed first before Paul, and not just by Luke, but by the Holy Spirit himself, Barnabas is never mentioned again. These things matter. And people can be fickle about the silliest things. People can get offended about the silliest things. But God gives us right connections, and right connections matter. We find out in Colossians 4, verse 10, that John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas, which might help us understand Barnabas taking sides with John Mark against Paul. Well, he's my cousin. She's my cousin. See, you have to decide at some point in your life what's most important, what God says or what a family member says. And again, we, we walk in love and we forgive and we're kind and we're gracious, but, but true power with God and answers with God And a blessed life and a victorious life comes when we put God first and we put his word first. And in your life, if you're married, you put your husband first or you put your wife first. And if you have children, you put your children first. Recently, one of the older ladies in the church caught me during the week. She was all fired up about some things that she had heard. But she told me, she said, Austin, Do people not care about their spouse, Austin? Do people not care about their children? It's priorities. The work of God or what your cousin thinks or how your cousin feels. He's upset, he's disappointed, he's blue, he's offended because Paul don't want to travel with him no more. See, what comes first is the work of God. What comes first is the mission, the assignment, the task, and the purpose. And so they disagreed over the cousin. And Barnabas is not heard from again. It's the last time Barnabas is mentioned in the book of Acts. So a couple of things. Number one, don't be like Elimus. Don't hinder the gospel or people being saved, or you could end up blind or dead and in hell. Now I'm gonna apply this a second way. We're a church. I think most everyone here today is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That means we're all sheep. So in the house of God, don't try to hurt a sheep. Don't try to hinder a sheep. Don't try to harm a sheep. Like that illustration I just used, don't put your own selfish needs or wants or desires above the good of a brother or sister in Christ, or you could end up blind or dead and in hell. And someone might say, well, Austin, grace means that judgment doesn't apply to believers. That is nonsense. Not read your Bible. Paul would write to the church at Corinth about immorality going on. And Paul wrote, expel the immoral brother. Remove him from your midst. And then Paul himself said that he prayed that the man's flesh, his body, would be handed over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his soul may be saved on the day of salvation. The judgment of God. And somebody might say, Austin, where's the grace and mercy? It's there. Lord, judge him and judge him in his body that he will repent that he may be saved on the day of salvation. See, that's what the New Testament teaches. That's what the Apostle Paul stood for. So don't hinder the gospel or people being saved or you could end up blind or dead in hell. And I'll I'll apply it the second way. Don't hurt a sheep. Don't harm a sheep. Don't hinder a sheep or a brother or sister in Christ or you'll face the consequences. And second, when God gives you a divine connection like Barnabas had with Paul, don't mess it up. The right connections lead to success. The wrong connections will sabotage and shipwreck your life. Paul would write, "Bad company corrupts, good character," and that is true, hundred percent of the time. But there is good news. Failure is not final with God. Failure is not final with God. And I, I look, look, I, you know, I like, to, I would still like to consider myself young. You know, forty. I don't know when you can no longer consider yourself young. All right, Pastor Sue says seventy. I'm sympathetic to John Mark. He's young. He wants to go home. He missed his mother's cooking. But Paul didn't have time for any of that. He was on a mission from God. But praise God for grace and mercy. And praise God that failure is not final with God. Later in 2 Timothy 4, in verse 11... Paul wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So praise God for his grace. Praise God for his mercy. And John Mark would write Peter's gospel, which for someone that doesn't know about Jesus, it's the shortest gospel. It's the the easiest for someone to read. Of the four. So praise God for Mark. And somebody might say, well, what about Barnabas? So I'm going to end on a sobering note. When you're older and wiser and more mature and you've done more and seen more and had more word, God expects more of you. And so when you're a mature believer and you know more and you know better, God expects more of you. And sometimes the consequences and the penalties and the repercussions can be tougher. You might say, Austin, where's the word on that? James, as one example, wrote, those, those who teach will be judged more strictly. So there's grace and there's mercy, but God expects us to mature and grow up. And praise God, John Mark did. Please bow your heads. You might be here today and maybe you have never asked Jesus to be the Lord and the Savior of your life. As As I said in the message, we, not every single person out there is a child of God. There's that wrong belief that every human being on the planet is a child of God. That's wrong, friend to be a child of God, to be a part of the family of God, you, you have to give your life to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The world will lie to you. It'll say that we're all God's children. The world will lie to you. It'll say to you that you can come up with your own way to God. Or if you're just good, kind of good enough that that is sufficient. No, we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in need of a savior. His name is Jesus. If you're here today say, Austin, I wanna become a child of God. I wanna be a part of the family of God. Pray with me. That's you this morning. Wherever you're seated, raise your hand where I'll see it. I know you want me to pray with you. Say, Austin, pray with me. I wanna be a part of the family of God. You might also be here today and at a time in your life, you prayed a prayer, you, you walked an aisle, but you know in your heart you're not right with God. You know in your life there are things that are displeasing to God. Maybe there are wrong connections. Maybe it's what we dealt with earlier in the message. There, there are things that they're not of God, They're of they're of the devil. And you've dabbled in the devil's things and it has opened doors. And you need freedom. You need forgiveness. You need a fresh start. The Bible says the mercies of God are new every morning. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're here today, say, Austin, pray with me. I wanna make things right with God before I go. If that's you, wherever you're seated, raise your hand to where I'll see it and I know you want me to pray with you might be watching or listening online now or later. Say, Austin, pray with me. Say this simple prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I repent of my sins, and I ask Jesus to be my Lord, to be my Savior. Set me free of anything that would hinder me in living for you. Fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. Thank you. For welcoming me into your family in Jesus' name. God is for us. But the, the wrong connections, they'll, they'll mess you up. They'll mess you up. They'll mess you up. Someone sent me an email recently. They live in a different town and they watch listen online and they, they give and all those things. And but he 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 emailed and he was heartbroken asking for forgiveness because he, he met somebody that seemed to be so super spiritual and, but they, they told him that, well, he didn't need to tithe and that he should instead give that money to them and then they talked him into giving more money which then he saw that it was, it was all a waste. It was all a waste. Hyann Mellenbach said, brother, you missed it, just got to get back on the right track. And I told him, I said, I'm gonna just tell you what the word says. Wherever you are, find a good church, good pastor, get plugged in, and give your tithes in the local church. Why? Because that's what the word of God teaches. It's what the word of God teaches. So in our lives, the best thing to do is to sweep them clean of any of the devil's devices, to do what's right, to walk in the light, amen and to be committed to the task at hand. Those four things that pastorists encouraged us to do in 2024, amen.